So we've been um, talking for a few weeks about this Multiply series, and I'm so glad some of you guys came back from last week, because I wasn't sure if you were going to. Last week was kind of tough, because we're talking, we're like on this mini-series in the midst of our big series, and the mini-series is sort of on life in the church. And last week we talked about how it can be super hard in, in a world where we're conditioned uh, to value personal freedom above all things. Growing a deep church in that world can be tough. And so we had a, a good talk about that last week, and this week we're going to kind of move on with another topic about the church. But remember, a lot of this series sort of centers around the fact that so many people have asked me, you know, we want to join the church, when can we join the church or whatever. And, and I think everyone thinks I'm being shady because I'm like, you know, not yet, not yet. And it's not that I'm being shady on this. It's just I don't feel like we're ready to receive people. And I don't feel like a lot of people are ready to join. Because I feel like we sort of got this idea of what church membership is wrong. And so we're, we're redefining that as a leadership team. And then you guys, we're, we're working together to redefine what membership in the local church means. And at some point, I'm working on a, a new member covenant. And hopefully we'll have that before the end of this year. But like... Some of us may decide that membership being connected to the body of Christ is too high of a cost to pay. And that's okay. We may decide that, you know, hey, we want to come and we want to sit and we want to worship, but we don't really want to join because that, that's a different level of deal and that's, that's a higher cost. And if you decide that, that's fine. It's like I think so many marriages end in divorce because we force people to get married before they're ready. Like, oh, you got to get married, you got to get ready, you got to get married. We're like, I'm not ready to get married. You get married, all right? It's the same thing with the church. Like over years, the church to, to facilitate church growth is like enticed people to join. Join the church, join, join the church, and I'll give you a cookie or whatever, you know? And then you join the church, well, you weren't really ready, and they weren't ready, and so we're just working on that. And um, I appreciate your patience. So today we're going to talk a little bit more about life in the church, and I'm excited. We're, we're going to start with the book of Acts. And if you guys have never read Acts, Acts is super cool because there's a guy named Luke in the Bible, right? And he wrote two books. One of them's Acts. Anyone know what the other one's called? Luke. Wow, really? That was an amazing guess. Um, so Acts is really cool, though, because it's a turning point in the Bible. In the Bible, it's kind of a story for the first, I don't know, 9,000 pages. It's a story of God and the nation of Israel, or at least it feels that way because we can't see what God was doing. And then after Acts, it turns into God and the story of the world. So Acts is a real turning point about how we became involved in this church. So let's check it. Acts 1-7, it says this. He said to them, this, he means Jesus in this one. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, or when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and dwell in you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and until the ends of the earth. So he says, all right, listen, you guys are about to become my church, and the Holy Spirit is going to descend on you, and when that happens, you're going to have this power, and that power is going to allow you to be witnesses to my death and resurrection. And you guys remember, so some of you may know the story. If you don't, that's cool too. Um, in Acts, when the first apostles, they go to this room, and they're sitting there, and the Holy Spirit comes in the room. Does anyone know this story? And it's like tongues of fire descend on these guys. And then they go out in the street and they remember they start speaking and they start speaking in tongues. And so they're speaking languages that, that shouldn't make sense, but yet everyone around them understands what they're saying. And that was a witness to the power of God. And then they left that situation and they just start preaching in the streets. They're like, uh, he's alive. We've seen him. You killed him and we're with him. And like they're boldly preaching. Then they start healing people. 
These are signs of the power of God. At some point, they bring somebody back to life. I mean, there's all this amazing stuff going on as signs for these witnesses that they have seen the resurrected Christ. And I'm not saying those things don't still happen today. I think God can still do whatever God wants to do. But what I am saying is this. I don't think the majority of us are going to stand in front of God and answer for speaking in tongues, casting out demons, raising people from the dead, and healing sick people with diseases. I don't think that's what most of us are going to answer for in front of God. What I am sure we are going to answer for, every single person in this room and every single person connected to the body of Christ, what we are going to answer for comes down to two words. And the words are this, love and unity. Those things we will answer for when we stand in front of the king face to face. We will answer for how we love and how we unified the body of Christ. Guys, the more I read this book, the Bible, the more I see some themes repeated over and over and over, and the more I see how I was almost distracted into some areas that weren't the most important things. Love and unity are repeated over and over and over in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Like, this is one we will answer for when we stand in front of Jesus, so this is one I think we should talk about. And if you're not committed to love and unity, then you may not be ready to join the body of Christ. And that's okay. And I, I don't know that I've ever said that about anything else. But those, to me, seem to be the baseline criteria for being connected to the body. So let's jump in John 13, 34, and it says this. A new command I give you. By the way, I read this every week, I think. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is a recurring theme. We must love one another. And the best way to love one another is by committing to unity with one another. Our love for each other is expressed by our unity with each other, and our unity with each other is the picture to the world of our love for God. Unity inside the church matters. And there are several ways this can be achieved. Uh, there can be unity amongst the lukewarm. Right? We can all get in a circle and basically say, hey, it doesn't matter. Um, God is whatever I want him to be. Uh, you can believe this, and I can believe that, and blah, blah, blah. And you know, we, we can remove all the calls to holiness and say sin doesn't matter. And we can be very unified in our lukewarmness. As a matter of fact, there are some, there are some places that are incredibly unified just around being lukewarm. Those are places, they, they're Facebook groups. They're not, I don't think it's the church. The, there's other ways we can unify. We can unify around our hatred, right? And a lot, of, a lot of people who call themselves Christians, they unify around their hatred. You get a bunch of people in a room, and you find the one sin that you're probably not going to commit. Whatever it is, just, you know, let's gambling on Tuesday. So we're not going to, I'm not going to gamble on Tuesday. And I find the one sin that no one will catch me committing. Actually, that's what I really, not the one you won't commit, the one no one will catch you committing. You find that one sin, and you rail against it with all your might. We hate Tuesday gamblers. And we stand outside the casino with signs on Tuesday that say, Tuesday, gamblers go to hell, right? And we unify around our hatred for people. But I, I don't think that's right either. Biblically speaking, that is wrong. It's wrong. So we don't unify around our lukewarmness, and we don't unify around our hatred. So what do we unify around? And I would say we unify around our love. The church that God created is a church unified 
by love. And Paul is writing to a lot of churches, and it's, we get this concept mixed up too when we talk about unity, that, that we should unify around everyone believing whatever, and you know, it's all, all roads lead to Rome. But Paul is writing to churches that were unified around the truth of Jesus Christ. When Paul writes a letter like Galatians or Ephesians or when Jesus talks about unity, he's talking to people who are unified around the truth. So the truth that we must unify around is that Jesus Christ died on a cross, that he was raised from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, that he is the only way to the Father, that there is no other name by which people are saved, and we can unify around nothing other than that. There is no unity outside of that. There can be no unity outside of that. We must unify the truth around the truth that Jesus is who he said he was. But inside of that, I, I see Christians who claim to all believe that, and they hate each other. We've got, guys, y'all know, y'all know we are the most divided religious group in the world? Isn't that strange? That Jesus Christ talked about unity all the time, and God talks about it, and Paul talks about it, but we, there's no other religious group that has as many fractions as we have. And all of the fractions seem to dislike each other. Like it would make a great, you know, one of those West Side Story scenes or like the, the fight from Anchorman or something. But like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird. Let's, let's, so there's, there's all these stories in the Bible about unity. And Paul writes about Jesus. But in Galatians 6, I think to me, it's probably my favorite thing that I'm studying right now in unity. And so we're going to, if you have a Bible, feel free to open it up. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, uh, verse 1. And we're just going to go sort of verse by verse by verse through Galatians. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. Maybe you want to go home and read this later. But there is some good stuff in here. But let me warn you on the front end. We're not all going to like every bit of it. So just get ready. Galatians 6, 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. What's that next word? You should restore that person how? Gently. How how do y'all think the church does at that? I wish we had some non-Christians in here today that'd be like, y'all stink at that. I mean, right? A whole section of them somewhere that could just be like, uh uh. Like, are we good at restoring people gently? No, we're terrible at it. So he says, restore people gently, but watch yourselves. The the, the 90s translation says, watch yourself. (laughs) But watch yourself. Um, All right. Or you also may be tempted. All right, so first off, all right, so let's leave that one up there. Watch yourself. Who, Who are we called to minister to? People caught in what? Sin. All right, how many of you have ever been caught in sin? Dang, a lot of y'all hadn't been caught yet. Your day's coming. <laughs> wow. Y'all are good. Let me tell you, though, you're going to get caught. Because God is watching. Like, we're all caught in sin at some point in our lives because we've all sinned. And so you don't need a seminary degree to minister to people because you have a sin degree. We all do. We're all really good at it. And so it's not you. We're like, oh, I'm not going to pastor anybody because I'm not prepared. If you have ever sinned and been restored, then you are prepared to pastor, right? That's everybody. And again, unless I'm missing something. And when you're, when you're restoring person, when you're restoring people, how do you do it? You do it gently. Oh, man. 
that's where we got to work, man, about just restoring people gently. Someone's struggling with a sin that we struggled with the week before, and we're mean to them, judgmental. That's why he says, but watch yourself. Watch yourself. Because when you begin to restore people and, and deal with sin, you can begin to get a little haughty. And that's a word I like, prideful. You begin to think you're better than somebody else. So as we are restoring people, we are doing it in a manner of humility and kindness. Because that's what we're called to do. Second verse, verse 2, it says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. This is where I got stuck this week. Carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. I wonder, I wonder how many people in the world have made bad choices because they didn't have a family like this to carry their burdens. Let me be a little more practical without going too far. I wonder how many women have made bad choices because they didn't have a family like this to carry their burden. Because they thought that they were all alone. Because they thought if they made that decision, they would have to do it by themselves. Because they didn't know they had a body like this to carry their burdens. How many addicts have stayed addicted because they didn't have a body like this to carry their burdens? How many people have never, ever gotten out of that thing, that sin? That, because the church told them, basically, we'll carry burdens, but that burden is too big for the church. We'll carry some burdens, but not that burden, because we don't like that and we don't approve of that. And so we send the world these mixed messages about, we want to walk with you, we want to walk with you. Unless you don't do what we want you to do, then we don't want to walk with you. We want to carry your burdens. I cannot imagine how different the world would be if the church carried the burdens for people who are hurting. We struggle in this. We miss the mark in this. We condemn people for something that we're not willing to help them get free from. How does that make sense? How does it make sense for the church to take a side on something if we're not willing to step in and get in the mess and carry the burdens with the people? This is what we're called to do, man. We are called to carry each other's burdens. I just think so many sin cycles would be broken if the church stepped in and carried each other's burdens. And it's not all about carrying burdens. We're not just Eeyores, right? Oh, thanks for noticing. Carry my corn or whatever Eeyore eats. I don't know. Hey. Eeyore's a donkey, right? Do y'all know who Eeyore is? Really, do y'all know he's from Winnie the Pooh? And he's a donkey, so he would eat corn or hay. Y'all are so judgmental. Look at him, you're a donkey. Um, we can also carry each other's joy, right? I mean, my burdens are your burdens, but my joy is your joy. And so it's not like we just sit, we shouldn't just sit around in a circle all week complaining about life and be like, oh, you're right, let me complain about that. Too. No, like, occasionally we're carrying each other's joy because I find great joy in Christianity. I find great joy. Y'all you know, know the weirdest thing people say to me when I do weddings? This is so weird. People come up to me and are like, man, you sure are happy. Am I not supposed to be happy? Like, you're at a wedding and you're a preacher and you're happy. What's up with that? I'm like, oh, y'all want to hear a funny joke? This is funny. I heard this at the wedding. Uh, this is, trust me, y'all are going to like this. This is funny. It's about weddings. So this guy, there's this, are y'all ready for this? Because this is funny. There's this, there's this um, pastor and he's marrying this young couple. <laughs> and the guy, he does the wedding and then the guy says, all right, pastor, what do I owe you? And the pastor says, well, just pay me whatever you think your wife is worth. So the guy's like, all right. So the guy gives the pastor $10. The 
About three weeks later, uh, the pastor sees the dude in the street and he's like, how's your wedding going? The guy's like, fine, but you owe me five bucks. I thought that was funny. Somebody told me that the other night. What am I talking about? Burdens, carrying each other's burdens, yeah. Verse 3, let's keep going. I got stuck. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one of you should test your own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each of you should carry your own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. It is impossible. Go back one for me if you don't mind. It is impossible to read any, any passages in the Bible about church division without coming across the word pride. Because pride is what destroys churches. Pride is what rips the body in half. Pride destroys. And every time you study church unity, you will always come to pride and comparison. We compare ourselves to each other. You know how many times I've heard this? Well, at least it's not crack. Like, is that our highest method of comparison? Well, yeah, I did, but it wasn't like a crack. What? Like, that's our mode of comparison now? Or at least I'm not killing anybody. Oh, you're right. Then I shouldn't have said anything because you're not killing anybody for crack. I mean... Is this, really, is this where our comparison is sunk to, that this is what we say? We quit comparing ourselves to each other and start comparing ourselves to the one who died on the cross, and in that we will find humility, and in that we will find unity. We're not comparing ourselves to one another. We're comparing ourselves to Jesus, the Christ, the King of the world, and when we do that, you know what we all find is unity in our deficiency. We're not, it's not superiority at that point. It's not, well, at least I'm not doing that. Or blah, blah, blah. What? Come on. Watch yourself. Better than that. I like it in that, in that verse, too. Go, go, to the, go back to that for me, Ann, if you don't mind. It says, go, go one more. I'm sorry. This is like the hokey pokey. It says, each one should carry their own load. Isn't that kind of weird? Because just a minute ago, it said divide our burdens. So am I supposed to divide the burden or carry my own load? And the truth is you cannot carry your own load if you're not willing to divide burdens with other people. Because carrying your own load in the body of Christ is a willingness to divide burdens with other people. It's not comparing yourself to anybody. It's, it's doing what you are supposed to do, what you can do with your resources and your time, your talent, and then looking around at how you can carry someone else's burden. And to not do that is to not carry your load in the church. All right, next verse. Oh, this is good right here. Verse 7. Y'all know I've read this passage a bunch of times, okay? And this week I read it and I realized this whole passage can be applied to other things, but he is talking about life in the church. Paul is talking to a church he had planted, a church grounded in the truth. He is talking about life in the church. So hear this with new ears as it applies to your participation in the church. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man or woman reaps what they sow. You reap what you sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from flesh they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Reap what you sow. Go back one for me. 
Do not be deceived. You reap what you sow. How can we understand that in every aspect of the life other than the church? Like people, and not anybody in this church, but down the road, people come to church and they don't bring anything to the table. They don't connect. They don't talk. They don't grow. And then they disappear for a few weeks and then they're mad because I didn't call them. Right? And I'm always like, did you call me? You saw me crying publicly on Sunday. You hadn't called me. Like, I mean... We, we reap what we sow. You get from this what you put into this. That is the way life works. I can promise you guys this. If Sherry Wilcox goes missing, we will go find her because she brings so much to this place. Like when somebody who's invested their entire life and invites people and talks to people and visits and serves and loves, when that person is gone, we notice and so if that hasn't happened, and guys, we're working on small groups, and better know sometimes bad things do happen, and people slip through the cracks, and we're working on that. But your job is not to say, well, they forgot about me. Your job is to say, what is my responsibility in this? What have I done? Am I reaching out to people? Am I serving? Am I growing? Am I loving? Am I giving? Am I doing these things to be connected to the body of Christ? Or am I just showing up and expecting everybody to cater to me? How's that work anywhere else? Is that what you do at your job? I'm here. Right? I mean, you reap what you sow. And so what, what, are you, what are you putting into this place? Because that's probably in great return what you're getting out of it. He says, don't grow weary of doing good, man. I, I know some people, what we do is we've been here for a long time, and we get this mentality of I've done it, now it's someone else's job. Right? I, I was out greeted at the door for eight years. Now it's someone else's job. There's 150 new people. It's their job. There are no term limits on your service inside the church. You do it forever until you die. That's just life. That is life in the body of Christ. We serve God with everything we've got until we stand face to face with God. And he says, well done for serving me with everything you had. That's the way it works. Division is tough. Unity is, is hard to achieve and... and we rail against so many sins that mean so much less than this one. Listen to Proverbs 6, is in Proverbs 16, uh, Proverbs 6, 17, excuse me. He says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, that's pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict inside the community. The seventh thing God hates is a person who stirs up conflict inside the community. Unity matters. Division matters. And if you're not committed to this, you're not committed to the body of Christ yet, and that's okay. But if we are committed to, to unity, if we are committed to love, then there are some things we should do. And the first thing is we shouldn't publicly tear each other down. If, you, if you're publicly tearing someone down, there's either one of two things you're doing. You're either blasting an unbeliever publicly, which you're not supposed to do, or you're blasting another believer publicly, and you're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to judge the world by standards of those who belong to the church. And we do this too many times. We run around and act like moral police hall monitors and, and judge the world for a Jesus they don't know yet. And you don't win the world by judging them when they don't yet know Christ. We win the world by loving them. And so it matters how we talk in public. It matters how Christians treat each other in public forums. I'm going to just come up with a couple off the top of my head. 
which is, these are completely random. But let's just say like, a, I don't know, like a, I don't know, maybe like a school board meeting. Like a school, let's just throw one out there that's completely random. A school board meeting. It matters how Christians address each other in a school board meeting. It does not matter what your stance is, whatever. It matters how we talk to each other. It matters that we are unifiers, not dividers. It matters that we're getting excited about things that are restoring, just like we're passionate about things that are dividing. All right, let's throw another one out. How about athletic events? I'm just, I'm just throwing these out randomly. It matters how Christians behave at athletic events and how we talk to each other. It matters at Sonic, how you treat the employees. It matters at East End Cafe. It matters in traffic. Yeah, I know, believe me, because some of y'all cannot drive so bad. Like, oh man, some of y'all. It matters, doesn't it? matters. You know, I, I was thinking about this too, like it's, it's so easy to draw a crowd around an issue that divides, isn't it? I did a Facebook Live this last week, and did any of y'all see this? And I, the title of it was Tommy's Views on Mask, right? You know why I did that? Clickbait. I wanted y'all to click it, right? Because I, I mean, it's so easy, like if we were to have a meeting here today, it said, hey listen, we're all going to share our opinions on mask." Everyone show up for the meeting. We, we could pack this room. But what if I said, we're going to have a meeting today for every single mama who has kept her child, and I'm going to have men mentor those little boys, and every single person who's desiring to mentor a young boy who's being raised by a woman who kept her child, you show up at church today. You know how many people be in this room? Forty. And that's a problem. And that's on all of us that we will unify around things that divide the world, but we will not unify around the things that would change the world. And this is where we must repent. I've got to get honest about this. These are things we need. It is not the government's job to raise the child of a single mom. It is the church's job to be part of her body and in her life and rallying around her. We can do this. We can do this. We tell people to keep it when they do. We better stand with them and love them and support them. We can do better. What if we rallied around things that mattered? What if we had the same passion for things like that that we have about <laughs> debates about masks? How many people got saved at that board meeting? I'm guessing zip. I wasn't there because I'm not allowed to go watch fights anymore, but dang, I wanted to be there. <laughs> I was like, Christy, can I go? She's like, no, <laughs> you don't go. <laughs> we can do this. We can do this. We can do this. We can unite around things that matter. Like we can, we can be light in a dark world. Have your opinions, man. Have diversity. I love diversity. Truly love it. Uh, variety is the spice of life, man. I agree with that. I think it is beautiful to be diverse. But within our diversity, what if we had unity around the things that really mattered? Passion around standing in the gap. Passion around loving life. Passion around restoring people gently. Passion about helping people experience unity inside the body of Christ. We can do this. You know why? Because Christ gave us his body.
Y'all grab your little cups if you got one. Christ gave us his body. He said, I'm going to ask you guys to do something that's impossible. I'm going to ask you to unify around what matters, even in the midst of diversity. And he said, to do this, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you something so intimate and so beautiful. I'm going to give you my body. And so Christ, before he went to the cross, he got in a room with his disciples, with his, with his boys. He got in a room with his best friends, and he said, this is my body, and I'm giving it to you, so take it and eat it, all of you. This is my body. And he said, this is my blood. This is the new covenant poured out for you and for many and for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, you remember me, and so take it and drink it. This is my blood that is given to you. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for this miracle that is the body, for this miracle that is the blood. God, we thank you that there can be unity in this house. Lord, that we can love each other in spite of our differences, that we can move forward, that we can be committed to this, as committed to love and as committed to unity as we are committed to anything else in the world. That we would understand the power of one church with different people unified around one cause, and that's changing the world for Jesus Christ. That there may be times when we silence ourselves if it's creating division. That we, would, that we would not create division, not just because we want to build a church, but we would not create division because we fear God. We fear a holy God so much that when we read the words of Proverbs, we tremble. When he says, I hate one who stirs up conflict, that God, we tremble at those words. God, we love you. And we trust you. And by your spirit, you have made this strength for us, the blood of Christ. You've made this, this bread for us, the body of Christ. And you are making us one with each other and one with you. We trust you. And we repent for the times we have lost sight of this. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Guys, we're, we're going to do something different right here. We're going to sing this closing song, and this is my favorite song. And I, I want you guys to just sit at your seats. I mean, you can come get on the stage and pray on the, on the sides and the altars, whatever. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to take some time and soak these words in. And we're going to be honest with God about where we have sown seeds of division and where we've missed the chance. And, and repent if you need to. That's to turn, and that's okay, and that's healthy. But where you have allowed division to creep in, be honest with God. And then open your heart so that God might change it. Sacrificed your life so I could live. Now nothing is holding me back from you, Redeemer of my soul. Now nothing can hold me back from you.
I get to love you in return. Go in peace.